What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined by my man, Jeff Hain. Jeff, thank you for being here, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's, a, it's an honor to be on this side now on, on your podcast, so I'm, I'm excited to, to dive into it. Of course, dude. I'm fired up to have you here, man. Um, you deserve a bigger audience. You know your shit so well, and I'm really stoked for this conversation. But before we get into it too much, can you give the listeners a background who might not know just who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm based out of St. Louis, Missouri, so I'm in the Midwest. Um, so I've been, so basically I've, I've done a couple bodybuilding shows in the past, um, natural bodybuilding. Um, and then as you know, I got ready for a photo shoot for you for, you know, just, just social media posts. Um, and so basically I, I run an online training um, fitness company and work on nutrition. It's usually clients that are just looking to just get in better shape, um, you know, just build some muscle, lose body fat you know, your basic stuff like that. And then like, I also like to dive into things on how to, how to fit it into your, your lifestyle to, you know, make sure, you know, I like to teach clients basically how, you know, you don't have to go all in on everything, you know, you can, you can have some balance. And so I like to teach that and I'm really enjoying the nutrition side of things. So that's something that I'm really diving into. Um, I'm currently pursuing my master's in human performance and nutrition, which I'm hoping potentially to get my RD, but this is going to help open that door for that. Um, so that's something that uh, I will uh, pursue in the future. And then as far as, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about this today, but one thing that I am very passionate about is hypertrophy and uh, I love building muscle. I like to just, you know, like my goal right now is to just build as much muscle as I can. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I love the hypertrophy side of things. I love it, man. I think we're very much the same where it's like, I love nutrition. I love you nerding out. What other shit? Oh, but I, I love training too. <laughs> like I love, I love all these different aspects of it. One thing I want to clarify for the listeners too, that photo shoot wasn't for me. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely, we worked through that together, but just so there's no confusion there, that was more like exclusively for me or anything of that nature. But yeah, I guess, I guess if you said for you, that would be kind of weird, but yes, you helped me um, get, get ready for, for the photo shoot. Just so there's no confusion on that end, but uh, we can talk about that later if you want to, dude. Um, anyway, <laughs> cool. So again, man, you have a wealth of knowledge. And really one of the biggest reasons I wanted to bring you on was to dig into hypertrophy training specifically, aka training for building muscle. Because I know especially you have a, you have a position at the um, Online Trainer Academy as well, like to, specific to program design, correct? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so basically the Online Trainer Academy, so it's a personal trainer development company. So if anyone's familiar, it's, it's like John, it's Jonathan Goodman's company. And they recently launched a new service called the Online Trainer Coaching. And so what it is basically is it's just a service for, for training, um, basically for trainers, you know, people who, you know how it is, like you spend time programming all day. The last thing you want to do is do it for yourself. So basically it's, it's a program through that. And then they asked me to come on recently to help be like the head programming coach. So they have a guy that does the, the templates already. His name's Joe Dodell and he, he does that. And then basically what I do is I do coach some people there, but also there's like four coaches underneath him. And if those coaches have any questions in terms of programming, they'll, they'll come to me and ask me. And then two, if somebody's been with them for more than two cohorts, basically they, you know, they, they have those two programs already designed. And then what I would do is I, I just see where the client is and then I, um, basically take their programming to the next level. So it's a little bit more of the like second tier of, of that, that programming. Dope, dope. Cool. Cool. So let's get into it then, man. When you are, when it comes to hypertrophy training as a whole, like hypertrophy training program design, do you have a couple key principles that you're looking for when you're building a program or like a couple key principles you think people should keep in mind when they're building their programs? Does that make sense? Yeah. So like basic, yeah. So the, the main thing though is I tell all clients this and anyone that's like looking to get into building muscle, like the, the biggest mistake I see people make is they are just very random with what they're doing. And so the, obviously the main thing there is, is getting some consistency there, but, but it's not so much the consistency, it's the progressive overload that, that is super important there. So that's, that's going to be the, the most important thing. You know, we need progressive overload in our training. So uh, that's, that. It's probably the most fundamental thing to build muscle. You know, if you're every, if every week you're, you know, you, obviously if you're doing different exercises, 
you don't really know if you're progressing and, and you know, you're not going to build muscle like you could if you have progressive overload in your training. So the first fundamental thing that I focus on is making sure that we're getting better over time. Right. Um, and I know, and, and, you know, this is a mistake that I used to make and I'm sure you, you made it as well too, where, you know, you'd go to the gym, you'd be working hard, you'd work five, six days out of the week, maybe even seven if you're crazy. You know, I did seven at some point too. And, you know, I was just frustrated with my, with the lack of progress. And what it came down to is I didn't have any structure with my training and it was, uh, you know, what did I do last week? Oh, you know, I think I did like 225 on bench. I don't know how many reps I did, but I'm just going to see how many I can do today. And right. it's just like, you just kind of spin your wheels that way. So that's like the first thing that I'm dialing with clients is we're just focused on getting just very consistent with our workout routine and then, and then progressing from there. Um, I think that that's the most fundamental thing. So really, I know when I first started training, I would go in and like, okay, how many, or when I worked up to the point where I could do 225 on bench, right? It was how many times, like, okay, how many times can I bench 225? Like, and then every week, okay, can I try to beat last week's performance? Like, and that in and of itself, honestly, like, hey, can I try to beat what I did last week? In and of itself, of course, we could talk about like the importance of deloads and even like undulating intensity. That's probably though not even like we're doing the same movement so we can measure progress over time. But I know there were a lot of other movements where I was just, I'm just doing everything at random. Like, what sounds like a good movement to do for my chest today? Or what is literally every movement for like legs that I can think of? So like, I remember like talking to a dude and when I worked at the campus rec center and it being like, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but like, he's like, oh, I trained legs today. So I did back squats, front squats, leg press, goblet squats, and walking lunges and like I, I know that's like when I first started training that was the approach I take like what is every movement I can think of for this specific muscle group okay cool I'm gonna throw all that in there but um a little bit off topic my man so biggest thing is overload any thought uh, any further thoughts on that well yeah and you make a good point there like I know I, I see this honestly I still see this in the gym all the time like you you see somebody training and, and you know they they're, they're doing their best right like I don't mean to be like to, to shit on these people but they're doing their best and they, they do what they think is gonna work and but you see it like people will do like we'll do a lat pull down this way, then they'll do like close grip, then they'll grab the mag bar, and it's like oh, you're just doing way too you're just doing way too much stuff there at that point, you know, and the, the quality's probably not there. But as far as a progressive overload goes, you know, this is, you know, again, this is why we do what we do. We we tell people to to we preach the importance of progressive overload. But I'm sure you still see this with clients when they first come on, like they they have the work and they think that that's like the, the magic there and so they sometimes they won't track at the beginning and like I have to have that conversation with them okay. constantly in the beginning like hey I, you know I know that you have the workout and you think that's an important part but really what we need to do is you need to make sure you're, you're tracking the workout so that way you know you're you're overloading over time because just just having these just this workout itself isn't going to cause you to, to build muscle it's going to be making sure that you're progressing over time um and so like, I have to have that conversation regularly with new clients, like, Hey, make sure you're, you know, it might not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal to, to track. Even if it's body weight exercises, make sure you're tracking those things too. Absolutely. dude. And I think, again, that's one of the biggest pieces most people are missing. And I know I have the same conversation with new clients. The first couple of weeks is always like, yo, here's what we can change to make sure we're getting better data or like, and that's, I know that's always something we touch on. Like when we shoot overdue clients, their plan, but still a lot of times it's like these first couple of days, okay, there's no data here. So like, since I adjust your plan based on how I'm seeing you progress week to week, like we don't really have anything to work with here. And like, how are you going to know you're progressing? How are you going to know you're actually pushing yourself? So I love that, man. Um, anything else on progressive overload? With that too, I think with the progressive overload too, it's people think that the only way to overload is just by weight. And we know that that's not the only thing too. So like, you know, you teach, you, you teach progressive overload and the first thought is, Hey, I'm just going to keep adding more weight to the bar. And it's like, well, that's, that's good. And right. you definitely want to get stronger over time, but that's not the only way to do it. And I think that that can sometimes be a mistake for clients because what happens there is instead of focusing on quality of the exercise, it just becomes, Hey, I just need a, to, to beat last week's numbers or, you know, just add more weight. And we know that the heavier the load gets it, you know, we, we, again, we want, to lift more weight over time, but, but weight in itself is not the most uh, important thing. And you don't just have to keep increasing weight every single week. There's a, from my understanding, there's a larger uh, threshold, like an overload threshold, and it doesn't have to just be just weight. And it's, and it doesn't have to be every single week you increase either just over time, just like with clients, you know, I'm sure you preach this and I preach this too. It's, 
with, with like weight loss, you don't have to, we don't need to see weight loss every single week or weight gain, but over time we want to see it trending in the direction we, we want, right? Like there's going to be some weeks where maybe it, maybe it doesn't go down, but same, so same thing with progressive overload, like just cause it, you don't have to do it every single session, every single week. Um, but again, obviously having smart coaches like you w- watching over the program is there, it's going to help the, the client realize that. Um, but two, yeah, adding like sets, reps, like those are all going to be things of progressive overload. It doesn't just have to be weight. And I feel like that's one kind of misconception with progressive overload is it's just weight. That's such a good point, man. And that's, we'll dig into like progressions across the mesocycle later on. So we can dig into that a little bit deeper, but that's, I know that's something I'm not, sh- I think how you program is probably pretty similar to how I program with like a progressive RIR and like relatively progressive volume, right? Yes. Yep. Progressive. Uh, yep. Cool. Cool. So I, I think like one of the hardest things with that system where like across weeks we're moving closer and closer to failure is, and I mean, on paper, if we're decreasing RIR every week, we should like in theory be able to add a rep most of the time. Right. But it doesn't always play out like that in real life. And like, to your point there, one thing I always, because that can often get clients into the mindset of like, if I didn't add a rep or add a little bit of low this week, then I failed that workout was worthless. Like I had a client emailed me the other day, like, Hey, I didn't progress from like last week. So does that mean that volume, all that volume I did was just pointless? I was like, no, no, that's not how it works. It's like, uh, <laughs> very much. We just haven't, there's so many other factors outside of just training nutrition with impact that like your sleep, your stress, um, all these other variables. But again, it's still like, it's not like it's either just, okay, this is effective volume and it was effective enough, enough to get you to another rep, like increased strength by another rep or a bit of load, or you didn't progress at all, right? There's very much like a gray area there for a good amount of time. So it's, I, that's a great point with progressive overlight. Like it doesn't, I think people get a little bit too fixated on it. We always have to add load, which I know has come back to bite me in the past. So with clients, do you have any, like, this is kind of a vague question, but do you have any rules of thumb you typically give people when it's like, okay, how do we walk the line between, am I executing the movement well enough? Or like, how do I know when I need to add a bit of load? Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically like, how do we know that we need to improve like technique over when to add weight type Exactly. How do you choose like which way to go? Like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't add weight. You should sit here a little bit longer versus, okay, we should add. I think a couple things you would, you would probably want to ask. And I would ask a client is cause cause you do, I, you get that question a lot, especially with online clients. It's like, Hey, when do I know when to add, add like load basically? Or, hey, and, what weight should I use this week? Right. Yeah. Or, or what weight should you use? Yeah. And so I think that's where something like, you know, let's say you're doing a, a bench press, like, if you start to get to the point to where, you know, you're not feeling it in the target muscle, like that's a time where it's probably, you're probably increasing your load a little too quickly. So, uh, you know, if, if you're getting to the point where, yeah, like if, if you're not feeling it in the, in the target muscle and it's more like joints, like let's say, let's take the bench. Cause I feel like that's a classic one where it's like, just keep adding load to it. Right. right? If you start to feel it more in your shoulders, then chances are, it's probably, all right, you need to cool it on the, adding load and instead start to in, increase your reps there a bit more on that and, and make sure that you're really feeling it in, in the target muscle. I think that that's the, the biggest takeaway there. And, and what I would tell a client is, Hey, like, you know, you know, where are you feeling this? If it's, if it's, let's say it's against the, the bench and it's more on the shoulders. Okay. Let's cool on the, on the load increases and let's focus more on uh, rep increases and in, in technique there. Um, I think a good thing with a bench is something like, Hey, focusing on potentially, you know, slowing it down on the way down maybe doing like a, a touch and go where you, you slow down touch and then come back up rather than just coming down. Cause I know I've done this a lot in the past and sometimes I still do it where like it's the last week of a mesocycle. You want to try to beat last week's number on there. And, and, and next thing you know, you're, you know, you're getting the weight up, but is it in the most effective way? And, and I feel like, you know, again, if you're not feeling it in the target muscle, like you've been there, like you, you felt it great in the first week and then week four or five, it's like, you know, again, your shoulders start to take over a bit more and it's like, okay, I probably, jumped on uh the weight a little too much too soon absolutely dude i think the the counter to that it is a fine line because i know also when we go to okay i I know i've had this conversation with clients and then sometimes it can swing too far on the other spectrum where 
clients are thinking so hard about the mind muscle connection that again it's like hey we could probably push a little bit harder here so typically what i tell people is i think i i know sometimes like at least most of the times when i have this conversation with clients like okay how does this movement feel like how do you feel like your instruction was how is the pump from that um how was the mind muscle connection typically like how i like to frame it with clients is these things come as a byproduct of good execution and basically putting your body in the proper positions throughout the movement, right? Not necessarily like trying to push your head, push your brain inside of the muscle and really, really think about like exactly what that's doing. And I think that's like a common misconception because again, I think it can go too far where clients are like, all right, so I'm going to use super light lows. I'm going to go so slow and really try to think super hard where it's like, okay, like focus almost like stay external in my in my experience, that seems to typically work best, like focus on execution, but not necessarily so much like what exactly am I feeling? And then that kind of comes as a byproduct. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think that's a great point. I think that, that people can take that too far and go too light and then they're not, then they're not doing enough weight, you know? So it's like, you know, you tell people, Hey, slow down, feel on the target muscle, but then that just gets over, overblown. Like I've seen people in the gym where, you know, they go super slow with the, with the tempo on the way down. It's like, okay, time under tension is important, but at some point, you know, you can do your tempo can slow down so much. and You can focus too much on the mind muscle connection that you have to drop the weight so much that then that weight is not stimulative enough. You know, it's under your 30, 30 or what would that be your 30 RM, 30% of your one RM. And like, that's just like, okay, that's too much then at that point. So yeah, you can definitely take it too far. And I know I've, I've, I've probably done that as well, where I focused on, on, on form and technique to where then it, it can, then you're not lifted enough weight. So there is that fine line. And this is what's crazy about building muscle is like there, you know, it's like, well, you know, you have one camp that says lift more weight then one's like lift less. And it's, so it's like where, you know, I can see where there's a ton of confusion um, with it. No, absolutely. And I think it's, I think in my experience, it's somewhere in the middle. Perfect. Cool. I mean, well, and and like, yeah, I think that again, this is, I think there's probably times where you, um, you know, something like there's probably times where you're going to go heavier than normal. And there's times where you're not going to go as heavy. And I think that, that, that just not burying one or the other, I think is, is super important. You know, um, like I know, you know, somebody that's always lifting in the five to seven rep range or six to 10 rep range, the one that they do, you know, maybe they, they would probably benefit from dropping the load a, a little bit and going higher reps on stuff and focusing more on the mind muscle connection. But then you have those people that they, you know, they don't want to go heavy. They think they'll, they'll get bulky or whatever from going heavy, but and they, they're only in the, the high rep range. They probably would benefit from, from a little bit heavier of a weight. No, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's basically like execution and intensity are both necessary and it's kind of pointless to say we can't really have the gains we want without both right cool so progressive overload i think we've covered pretty well um main principles you're looking for past that what do you got so another one would obviously be so progressive overload and then another one obviously is just intensity with your with your training like that's going to be super important you know that's one that that i feel like people miss over is you know obviously we want progressive overload but at the same time so let me, let me back up here. One, one other one that is super important that, that I think does get o- overlooked is specificity, right? Like making sure that, okay, so obviously we want progressive overload in our, in our training, but if we don't have specific, specificity, we're, 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 we're missing out on what we're trying to do. So what I mean by that is, you know, if your goal is to build muscle and you're running multiple times a week uh, for, you know, four or five times a week, you know, you're not being specific to, to what your goal is. Um, and so, and so that's super important, right? You got to make sure that what you're doing is, is the, the stimulus is, is building muscle, right? Like, and again, you could take that, you can do endurance running and that's not going to help you build muscle. So you could have progressive overload where you're, where you're, uh, overloading your running, but is that going to build muscle the most effectively? No. So we need to make sure that what you're doing is specific to, to building muscle. Absolutely, dude. And that's, I don't know about you, but like so many new clients, the hop on board, I, for whatever reason, I think this is a lot more common in women. Um, like Beachbody, I think is very good at like 
marketing and I don't actually know what their marketing is like, but I know a ton of women hop on board that have come from like, Hey, I follow like this high intensity style of training. I want to build muscle, but basically how I'm training is this circuit style of training where we're never like getting that close to failure. And it's all focused on intensity and like sprint intervals mixed in the mix and all these different things. And it's like, well, yeah, like it's, that's very non-specific to like the stimulus that you're providing doesn't yield the adaptation you want right and i feel yeah. like that's so that's such a common thing that we see yeah absolutely right and and like you know you see that and, and that is common i feel like you said you know that is more common with women the more like circuit type and and again that kind of goes back to you know they're doing more like high rep sets um and they're doing that but they're also not doing overload with it right like it's something different every week but one that i see is and this is more with with guys, I feel like guys that struggle to put on muscle. One that I see commonly is, you know, a guy, you talk to a guy, he's like, Oh man, I've been trying to put on muscle. I just can't do it. And, and, you know, you look at what they're doing throughout the week and they're, they're, they're playing a bunch of sports. They, they do like these high intensity activities like bike riding or uh, more like mountain bike riding, not bike riding itself, but uh, they're doing that. Um, uh, I have a client who I just picked back up. He, he does rock climbing and like he, he does all this stuff and like, it's, you know, that's good and you should stay active. But if you're, if your goal is to build muscle, like there needs to be a time where you focus more on, on, on that rather than all these extra activities that you're doing. Cause that will hurt, hurt your, your muscle growth in the long run. No, absolutely. dude. I love it. Um, as far as specificity, anything else you want to dig into there? Um, with specificity, it's just, you know, it's kind of on a spectrum, right? Like there's going to be, can you hear that in the background? Uh-uh, you're good. No. Okay, cool. On, in terms of specificity, there's, there's, it's kind of a spectrum, right? Like far away is going to be things like endurance training and then closer to it, it's going to be things like strength training, you know? So like strength training would be like, obviously we know that lifting weights is going to build muscle, but if you're constantly in the like one to five rep range trying to uh, build muscle that way, like it's going to help, but it's not going to be the best for, for building muscle. Right. So there, it, it's kind of on a spectrum there. Right. Cool. Cool. And I want to dig into exercise selection in a bit as well in the rep ranges. So that'll be helpful too. Yeah. Um, kind of continue this conversation. So then as far as the main principles, um, I know you mentioned intensity as well. Yeah. So, so intensity is going to be like how hard you train. Like again, you could, you know, maybe you're, you're doing specificity, like you're, you're training to build muscle, you're overloading, but then maybe you're not training hard enough, right? Like it's not like, obviously if you overload eventually, I, I think you'll, you'll get to the point to where it's, it's hard training, but you could be spending a lot of that time just not training intense, intense enough. And so one thing we like to use, and I know you use this, and this is one thing I picked up from like Steve Hall and Renaissance periodization is, is using uh, reps in reserve, uh, making sure that your training is, is challenging, right? Like, cause again, you could be training, you could be doing all these things, but if it's not challenging, you know, what's, is it, are you actually growing muscle? So, you know, I like to use the reps and reserve. Um, basically what they've shown is, you know, you, you hear this, you hear this, uh, argument of, should you train to failure? And, you know, there's some pros to training to failure, but always training to failure is not great either. Um, so what we find to be the best is usually around like two reps and reserve, right? So two reps and reserve, that's usually when the bar starts to slow down a bit. That's one thing that I didn't use for the longest time, but I really like using that is, is, Hey, once you, once like your form starts to slow down a bit, that's probably, you're, you're at a good point there. You're probably about three, two to three RAR. Um, and, and so, you know, going to failure has been shown to, to cause more muscle growth, but what we forget to, what we forget to look into is the fatigue that comes with training to failure all the time. Right? Like, obviously, again, if you train to failure all the time, yes, you'll grow more muscle, but you don't think of the the long-term effects of the fatigue that, that comes along with that. And, you know, fatigue obviously is not great for, for building muscle, you know, cause at that point you're going to spend more time recovering than you are actually building muscle. Um, so we find that about two RAR is, is, is probably best and then give or take, you know, uh, one or two. Um, but yeah, making sure you're training intense enough is, is, is super important for building muscle. Absolutely, dude. And I think that's another very overlooked piece. Again, it so much depends on like where the client is coming from. I think that people typically fall into camps, like when they hop on board, either A, they, and I would say that a lot more clients fall in this camp, at least that we tend to attract. They've just always trained balls to the wall. But then like the specific, when we're talking about specificity, like 
okay, maybe I'm trying to build my glutes, but like my training is absolutely all out. But then the actual rate limiter and the movement is in my glutes. Maybe it's like the fact that I'm just exhausted because I haven't been taking in long enough rest periods. Um, but that's, that's such a good point, man. Um, go ahead. Well, well, one other thing on that too, and this is, this is interesting. Like you'll see, you have the one people, you have the, the one camp where it's like they, they train balls of wall all the time to failure all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, and again, I, I don't, usually you see that more in men, right? And then on the females on the other side, they're the ones that they, it seems like they train a little bit further away from failure when it comes to building muscle. But when I had a, I had a guest on the podcast a couple months ago, Martin Rafalo, we talked about training differences between males and females. And like one of the things he brought up was females might benefit more from training closer to failure just because they have smaller muscle group. You know, their muscles on average are smaller, they're smaller than, than men are. And so like they can handle training a little bit closer to failure. So it's almost like, there's that mismatch when they, when we kind of need to switch, you know, where, where people are at. The male versus female training differences are so interesting too. I, we were talking about this when we met up in Scottsdale or in Phoenix, right? Um, I, I, think so. I think so. Yeah. A couple drinks. So, <laughs> but I, yeah. uh, I think we we're talking about like the amount of just like looking at the amount of volume so many of our female clients can do relative to like what, like what we would do. Like, for example, like when I program for you do like, your lower body is stupid how <laughs> I'm pissed off when I like two sets. It's like four total sets in a training day, but like the amount of volume you need. And that's, that said, like the context of that is different, but I know even like when you were still trying to grow your lower body, it was like very, very low volume. Whereas so many, I know so many of the women that I work with that are like more intermediate to advanced. Um, and I think you said this was the case for you as well. Like because women can typically co- recover quicker between sets and quicker between um, training sessions, it seems, the amount of volume that they can handle to continue to grow is, it's, it's not like it's like, okay, I do three sets of this girl did, or like uh, this female did 10 sets of like back squats or anything of that nature, but it is pretty, there is a pretty decent difference anecdotally between like what men and women can usually handle or even need to grow optimally. Have you noticed that? Yeah, for sure. Well, it makes sense too when you think about it. So uh, men have a little bit more like type two muscle fibers and those are like the, the strong forceful muscle fibers. And those are the ones that are going to be, they fatigue quickly. So, you know, and to, again, men usually have just, just more muscle in general. And so like, you know, more muscle is going to take more time to recover, right? Bigger muscles are going to take more time to recover. So it makes sense that men can do more, or men can do less, females can do more volume than, than men can. Um, and then too, like, and this was something that I've noticed too with my clients and I've, I've heard this too, where like, if you look from like set to set, you know, you'll, if you're following RAR, you'll see sometimes with men, it will be like 10, eight, six or something like that. But with females, it's usually just like 10, 10, 10. And it's like, you know, you're kind of asking them, are, are, you know, are you actually following RAR? But most of the time they are, it's just like, they just, again, they recover their work capacity is much higher and they can recover super quick. Um, just overall, you know, on a, on a shorter time scale and on, and on a longer um, time scale as well. That's such a funny thing. Cause that is something that I've talked about with so many of my clients too. And, um, for a long time, I was the same way. Like, yo, we should be seeing this drop. Are you sure you're like taking it there? And so like, I would, I remember having a couple of women like shoot me form videos and okay. Like, okay. Yeah. You are hitting your RIR target. It is. And that's like, I'd be interested to hear your take on this, man, because I know like typically like when I'm looking through a client's like progressions week to week, if I see too many sets where reps are the same, load is the same across all the sets for dudes, uh, for dudes is almost always like, Hey, you're probably either sandbagging the first couple sets or you're taking the last couple sets too far to like try to match reps. But for women, I'll typically still like, Hey, this is a little bit more common in women to like you would be able to match performance across sets but still just like audit yourself make sure that or like hey shoot me some form videos if it's like everything then i'll typically still like hey like just shoot me some form videos these movements like i want to rate your rr to make sure like i feel like we're gauging this accurately as well but that that is an interesting insight because again i feel like that's a conversation that i've had so many times as well but there is a pretty big difference there yeah for sure and and it is and it is a challenge and like i i i think that I don't know where this, but it seems like, you know, if you give a client a rep range, like they want to hit that rep range and they want to match, like anytime they like, and, and it took me a little while to, to change my mind on this too. But like, you know, anytime you, you, they get whatever they get on the first set, it's almost like they feel like they have to get across the board for some reason. And like you said, you may see, it may be something where like, 
that first sets five RAR, then it's like three RAR, then one RAR, right? Because I mean, that's kind of what's going to happen there at that point. Like you're going to be sandbagging those first couple sets. Um, And, and again, I, I've listened to like Dr. Mike talk about this and they, they, you know, they mentioned there's, there's no like right or wrong way to do that. It's just, you know, just, you have to just realize that, you know, your first set's probably not going to be the best, but then that last one's going to be a lower IR and, and that, what that average, you just kind of average it out a little bit. But, you know, I like to teach, Hey, let's, let's try to stick to, to two RAR or something like that throughout all, all three or all, all the sets. I like it, man. Cool. Um, so main principles you're looking for anything else. Um, I guess another one we could hit on too real quick is just fatigue management. You know, um, this is one that gets overlooked a lot by, by people, you know, they, they usually people that are hard workers, they can't miss the gym. They got to be in there every week. You know, they're usually the ones that are missing out on this fatigue management, um, portion of, of building muscle. Uh, and basically fatigue management is just making sure that you're, you know, obviously you're pushing yourself hard in your training, but also making sure that you manage that fatigue that comes along with, with hard training. Right. Um, whether it, whether it be, Hey, taking, um, making sure that you have a couple, at least one off day throughout the week or making sure you don't do too much in one session. Um, also taking periods of like a week, a deal of week from training. Uh, and then, and then sometimes maybe even like a, a active rest phase or, or like a, what Steve Hall calls a primer phase, you know, making sure that you again, take time to recover from training too. Um, cause again, if you're always just pushing yourself, pushing yourself, you know, it's just at some point, something's got to give. You can't just keep pushing yourself. You know, you can't just keep progressive overloading each week. Like, you know, you know how it is. Like when you first got into training, you could overload every single week. And then eventually the longer you get into it, the more it's just like, you know, it's like, I can't go any further. And I feel like that's where a lot of people, they, they get demotivated and that's where they end up spinning their wheels. You know, they, they, they push it for eight to 12 weeks, progress every week. And then all of a sudden that moment, there's a little plateau, you know, they probably just need a rest, but they're like, no, I got to push through. I got to get, I got to get in, into the gym and do this. I can't miss. And then, you know, you get burnt out or get injured or, or something like that. And miss time from the gym is going to hurt your gains more than anything. Oh, absolutely, dude. And that's, again, I think like most people that sign up for coaching with us are people that are very good at pushing themselves, but almost to like a fault where, like you said, it's, you can do that shit for two to three months. You can push hard. But you're going to hit a wall and eventually it'll get to the point where you're just so beat down. You're trying to grind through it. You're trying to grind through it, but you're not seeing progress. You're probably even regressing by this point. And then eventually people typically are like, well, fuck this, fall off for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Then like, oh shit, I feel great again. Okay, I'm back on it. And kind of rinse and repeat that cycle. Whereas like three to five weeks of accumulation, deload, rinse and repeat is how you actually create sustainable progress. It is, but it's so hard to get people to buy into the, to the taking a, a, a lighter week, man. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, that's a, it's always a challenge to get people. They're like, wait, what the hell am I doing? What, what's the point of this? You know, and it, it, it's a, but it's, it's having that conversation is important. Again, that's like why you mentioned having a coach or somebody there with you to guide you is, is super important for this. Oh, absolutely, dude. And I think it's much for like people that are very good at pushing themselves hard as anyone else. That's like, because it's not just like, Hey, let me motivate you, give you a kick in the ass. So much of it is like, let's look at the objective data. Do you need to deload now? Yes or no? Like, I know I've had so many clients hop on board and it's like, they're so hesitant to like take a diet break or like take time to deload. And then like the week after that, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you for making me do that. Cause that was so helpful. But that's, go ahead. Well, no, that's, that's a great point. Like it, usually the first couple of times you do one, I, I don't know if you do this, but if it's somebody is fairly new to training, I'll, I'll kind of push them out a little bit. I'm not going to take one every four weeks. But like mm-hmm. if someone's new to training and they're getting back into it, you know, you can probably push it out longer. Um, but man, you, you, you know, all of a sudden you throw in a deal, they're like, what the hell's going on? This sucks. And then, and then next thing you know, they're messaging you the next week and they're like, that was amazing. And right. then they start looking forward to that every single, every, every four, six weeks or whatever. No, absolutely, dude. Uh, and I really, I couldn't agree more to you. The fatigue management is such an overlooked part of it. Uh, because I think so many people come think like, Hey, I just need to smash myself with my training. If I push myself hard enough in my training, the growth that I want will come. But like, if you look at like the SRA curve, for example, it is very much like, okay, we create like in simplest terms, imagine your body's at a baseline right now. And we could of course debate how I'm about to lay this out, but to simplify body's at a baseline right now, you hit it with your training stimulus, you drop a certain amount. Like the greater the stress from that training session, the lower we like drop here. Your body has to recover and fully bring it back to the previous baseline 
you have to recover from all that. And then if we have enough recovery resources or recovery ability, then we can actually grow past that point. We have to even just get back to our previous baseline first, right? And that's like when we're creating too much fatigue. So many people also get into this trap of like where the amount of fatigue created is so great that they can never actually recover. They just like spin their wheels because they're basically just bringing their body back to the previous baseline, training super hard again. So that, that's such a good point, man. Yeah, and, and that's a trap that a lot of people get themselves in. You know, it's, it's a combination of uh, under-recovery and, and just not eating enough too. You know, people are scared to, to eat and that's obviously going to play a role in that too. That's going to help you recover. And, you know, it's a, it's a recipe for a disaster if you're always pushing yourself, not taking these, these rest, you know, these, these times to lower the fatigue. And then on top of it, you're not eating a lot of food. Like you're just, again, like you mentioned, you're going to spend most of your time basically just repairing the damage from the training and then it's, then it's back again, you know, and there's no time to actually grow or, or whatever it may be. Absolutely. dude. And again, that's where it's almost counterintuitive to like most people who do like, they want to push themselves very hard, which is such a great skill to have. But again, it's sometimes like doing a little bit less actually gets you more. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure you see this. I feel like it, you know, the people that need it are the ones that you come and you, you'll talk to and every couple months you see them and they're like, Oh man, I'm getting, I'm going to hit it. I'm going to get back into it next week. Uh, I fell off. And it's just like, Oh man, if you could just learn how to, how to take that, take that rest period, you won't be having that, that issue of, of needing to take time off from getting burnt out or whatever it may be. Absolutely. dude. So I love to dig into on a similar note, because I know that something that was very helpful for me on understanding this was, stimulus to fatigue ratio. I'd love to just dig into that a bit and then kind of carry that into a conversation around exercise selection. You cool with that? Yeah. Cool. Or did you have any other main principles you wanted to touch on? No, those are, I, I feel like if you can, if you can be specific with your training, overload it and then take time to uh, get rid of that fatigue and, and train, you know, make sure you're training hard enough. I mean, those are going to be, those are going to guide you for long periods of time to, to building muscle. Perfect. dude. So when it comes to the very specific to building muscle and actually being able to recover from your training, we kind of have this idea of stimulus to fatigue ratio, which I'm sh I know is something you consider pretty heavily in your programming as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So could you give us a quick breakdown, if you don't mind, of like what stimulus to fatigue ratio is, why it's important for hypertrophy training? Yeah, so stimulus to fatigue ratio would be like, again, so we talked about earlier, hard training is going to produce fatigue, right? So we know that if you're training hard, you're, you're going to generate fatigue. Um, that's just unfortunately what, what happens um, when you, you know, when you, when you push your body. So basically stimulus to fatigue means that I don't have a great definition of it, but basically it's going to be, you know, what you're doing in the gym is, is generating, it's stimulating enough to build muscle, but it's also not super, super fatiguing. So um, something that would, uh, violate this this stimulus to fatigue would be something like a let's take a, a rack pull okay so a rack pull right you can lift heavy amounts of weight with it but it you know so it's going to generate so you know the intensity of it's going to be super high so it's going to generate a ton of fatigue but it's not really stimulating much right like it's not doing it's not really building much muscle there's not a lot of range of motion in it it's just a very short range of motion so really what you're doing there is you're just generating a ton of fatigue and you're not getting very much stimulus to it so it, essentially it's a poor stimulus to fatigue ratio um and you could even argue something like the deadlift too is is not exactly the best stimulus to fatigue ratio now it could be for some people but you know again it's one of those lifts where it hits a lot of muscle groups um nothing that really stimulates heart like a, a ton but you also have to use a ton of weight for it to be effective and so it's just adding a ton of fatigue uh, to, to you, right. You're just, you're just generating a ton of fatigue. And so again, for building muscle, it's not the best. Um, but each person's going to be different with the stimulus to fatigue. You know, there's for some people, one lift may be a great, um, stimulus to fatigue exercise, but for another person, it's a poor one. You know, it's just going to be based on how it feels for you. So how uh, there is some, uh, it's not like one exercise is going to be great for everybody, but, but that would be a, a kind of an example of, of stimulus to fatigue there on that. Oh, dude, I think that's perfect. Basically, just like, okay, how much stimulus are we getting from this? Basically, this specific movement, is it giving our body a strong muscular stimulus? Does it kind of show you somewhere in between? On the flip side, how much fatigue are we creating with that movement? So like you said, the deadlift is a great example of that. You create, you get pretty fucking tired after you deadlift. Like doing five by five heavy deadlifts, you're going to be smoked. So a lot of fatigue. That said, like, does it 
And of course, like you said, this varies by individual, which is the beauty of it. But like, okay, for me, when I do, I have five set, five by five heavy deadlifts. Do my hamstrings really feel that stimulated after? No. Do my glutes? No. Does my back? No. I feel exhausted, but I didn't actually stimulate that much muscle growth, right? And 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 what does that do to your the rest of your training for that day, right? You're you're so zonked from that, you can't really do anything else because you're so tired, and so it's like you just. You did a lot of work for not a lot of muscle growth. Strength, though, crush the strength part of it, though. Oh, exactly. And again, like, that's the context of it is so important, too. Like, if you're a power lifter, is a conventional deadlift a probably a good movement to do? Of course. But, like, if we're in here when we're talking about truly hypertrophy training, most of the time, like, a conventional barbell deadlift or a sumo deadlift typically isn't something that I program, at least. Um, yeah, man, I think that's pretty I, – I like – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say too, you know, and it depends on the person, right? And how long they've been training, like someone that's fairly new and they don't have a ton of time to train something like a deadlift may be a, a decent exercise for them because they're not, they don't have to do a ton of weight uh, for it to be um, stimulating for them, right? You know, they can get away with doing less, so the fatigue's lower. So it may be a better choice for them. But as you, as you progress and you have to lift more weight, it becomes a worse uh, stimulus to fatigue ratio exercise. Absolutely. And I, I like Renaissance periodization's model of like when we're actually quantifying this. Okay. On one end, if we look, we're looking at, at, at this as an equation, stimulus over fatigue. On the stimulus side, we have my muscle connection, we have pump, and we have muscle disruption. Not things that like in and of themselves, like, hey, I'm gonna, am I going to build my program specifically for like the my muscle connection or specifically to chase a pump or specifically to get super sore? No. But like all those together are probably a sign that like if you're feeling a decent mind muscle connection on an exercise, you're getting a decent pump from it. And afterwards, you can tell like, ooh, okay, I can tell I train that muscle. It's probably stimulating a decent amount of muscle growth. And then on the fatigue side, we have joint or connective tissue stress, um, perceived exertion, and I think non-target joint and muscles. I think non-target joint stress, if I'm correct. But basically, okay, then how much fatigue? Again, how, and really we could look at this as does it make your joints hurt or does it make you tired? And like the more, the greater the degree you can say yes to either of those things, probably the greater fatigue cost you're incurring for like the stimulus. So then we have to be smart with the movements that are more fatiguing are they like is the stimulus worth the amount of fatigue that we're creating right so to dig into then exercise selection um and then one last thing i want to note on that quick before we move on actually is then typically like the big i don't know what your take is on this but typically like the big barbell movements so really what i would say is like the movements that put more stress on your spine so think like any deadlift variations even a romanian deadlift barbell back squat front squat overhead press, barbell bent rows, those are typically going to be the ones that are the most fatiguing, right? Typically, like the, the degree of axial loading, or again, like how much our spine is loaded is typically pretty correlative with more fatigue. So those are the ones I think where especially you need to consider, okay, how much stimulus am I getting from this? And like, be smart with those and choose like, okay, let's say like my back squat is amazing for my quads, but on the flip, so that's one to keep in. Like I get a crazy stimulus, but on the flip side, when I do a barbell bent row, I don't get that much stimulus. But when I do like, okay, so maybe, but it's a lot of fatigue. So maybe, okay, let's plug it in for like a chest supported row or cable row. Um, but yeah, do you have any other thoughts on that before we move on? Well, I think one thing to keep in mind too is just because it's a good stimulus to fatigue ratio at one point doesn't mean it's always going to be that way either. Like over time, you know, the, the, the longer you do the lift, you know, that stimulus to fatigue ratio is probably going to decline too so you know definitely keep that in mind too because again let's let's go back to uh progressive overload like over time you want to uh be increasing the weight so like say for example bench press when you're doing 185 you know it's probably a good stimulus to, to fatigue ratio but say you know three months down the line all of a sudden you know you're, you're just getting a little burnt out of it you're you're up to like 215 on it and now you start to feel it more in your joints well the stimulus to fatigue ratio is down on it right so just because it's a good one at the beginning doesn't mean it's always going to be a, a good one too so definitely something to keep in mind um with with that too cool cool i like it actually while we're on the conversation before we dig deeper into exercise selection i would ask then what's normally the criteria you look for or you think people should look for when it's okay when do i know whether i should swap out a movement or not or continue to like, try to progress this yeah that's a that's a good question i my thought on it is, you know, if you go in and you're just like, 
you know, you got to the point where you're just like, I do not want to fucking do this. Like, okay, that's probably a good sign. Like, Hey, it's probably time to switch it up again. Are you feeling it? Um, more is it, is it, is the lift just getting like just tough? Like, is it just, again, it, it goes back to the motivation part of it. Like you're just, you don't want to do it, but it, is the lift just getting harder and harder? Is it getting tougher and tougher to progress? You know, that's probably a time to, to, to switch. And then again, too, if something is not feeling a hundred percent or it's feeling off a little bit, starting to, to, uh, again, maybe stress your joints a bit more. That's probably a good time to, to switch it out. You know, those are things that I'm asking, uh, clients, you know, um, you know, also too, just being proactive and asking them ahead of time, Hey, is there anything you would like to take out? Things like that. But those would kind of be the things that I'm like, all right. And, and then too, just, again, I, I kind of mentioned this, but just if it's, if the lift's starting to plateau, like, you know, we, we, I think people get married to exercises and they think that they need to have certain exercises in, but if, if someone's starting to plateau for you, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking it out for a little bit. You know, uh, a specific example for me is, is barbell bench press. Like I, I haven't done it for a while. Um, because like what happens with, with me, once I like keep it in for a while, I keep trying to, you know, progress. And eventually it's just like, it becomes more of a, Hey, I just need to lift more weight with it. And, and it just gets a little stale. Right. And so like taking some time away from it can be a great thing. And now I, I, I brought it back in this week. Uh, for this new mezzo and, and it's, you know, the first time I did it, it felt great. Right. So it's like, you know, taking time away from it is, is super important. Yeah. Are you going to lose a little strength on it? Yes. But you'll, you'll get that back over time too, though. Love it, man. That, that's a great point. Like this SFR of movements, singles to ratio can change pretty dramatically over time. You probably will need to eventually swap out. And the, again, with variation is a fine line because we can easily go too hard in the direction of too much variation, but that's a great point. Like, if a movement is going stale, if you're creating joint pain, I, I really like to look at the, have we seen this progress over the mesocycle versus, which of course that can vary too. Like, yeah, if we are like in slightly higher volume cycle and maybe we're like doing more downsets, of course that, that varies, but like generally are we seeing progression here? And then I think that too, like the mental side of things, if you're like, fuck, like, I know that's how split squats are for me. Fuck, I this is making me dread going to the gym. Then to, you have to do hard shit, of course, to build muscle. But on the same time, token, like if you could get just good of a stimulus from like a leg press, it's probably and not hit your training sessions and probably not be as gas afterwards. It's probably a good substitute. Yeah, well, and, and think about it too from, you know, again, this is the beauty of building muscles. There's no must do exercise. But I mean, if you're dreading an exercise, are you going to push yourself as hard on it? Probably not. You know, you're again, like you said, with the split squat, like you're just like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this. Like you're probably not going to push yourself as hard. Maybe you do for a little bit, but eventually you're going to just going to be like, dude, I'm done with this. I don't want to push it today. Right. Um, and, and I think one thing it, it is important to, to stress this too is, you know, I mentioned there's no must do exercise for building muscle. Right. But you know, so, so you don't have to get married to exercise, which is great. But if you are specifically trying to get stronger in a lift like if you're a power lifter it's probably better to stick to certain exercises more so like again it kind of just comes down to what your goal is with it um but if you don't have to do it like you don't you know don't keep pushing it like switch it out i love it man i couldn't agree more so then when we're talking about exercise selection when you're looking at good movements for building muscle are there kind of some keys that you're typically looking for what like when i'm choosing an exercise for it yeah exactly i think i think kind of the things first of all can you hear that outside no, you're good. You're good. Okay. Sorry. I don't know if I can hear it. So, no, no worries, man. Um, so I think when choosing an exercise for building muscle, you know, this kind of comes down to what we've already talked about a little bit, but like, you know, the stimulus to fatigue ratio, you no, know, making sure that whatever exercise you're choosing, you feel it in the target muscle. So again, if you're doing a bench press and you don't feel it in your chest and you're trying to hit your chest, is it a great exercise? No, you know, you probably want to find something else that's going to hit your chest more. Right. Um, Sorry, this is really loud and it's bugging me. Uh, and then too, you know, but the main thing is making sure you enjoy it and making sure that you're, you're hitting the target muscle there. I think those are probably the two biggest things that, that we need to, to figure out if we want to keep that exercise in or not. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add on to that. No, for sure. I, I think the biggest thing too is just, I was talking about rate limiters, right? Like what's the thing that's causing you to stop the set? If it is like, I'm doing a squat on a BOSU ball and I'm just so unstable. Whereas like I'm doing squats because I want to build my quads. 
But the thing that's actually causing me to stop the set is like I'm just super unstable and the balance is off. Okay, that's probably not like the best movement, right? Or, yeah, I, no, that's that's a great point. And I think that goes back to specificity, like we talked about at the beginning, right? Like squatting on a BOSU ball is not very specific to 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 the muscle, right? It's it's gonna it's more so balanced than it is actually building muscle. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like if you can just take that and like think through movements like that, and it, it ties it really ties into the stimulus to fatigue ratio as well. Um, but like if your grip is the limiter, if your core strength is the limiter, um, or even like if the cycle, the fact that you just don't want to fucking do this movement is the limiter, like it's all important things to consider. But I really think if we look at that, like we could talk about range of motion, um, all these other components, but I think that's, that's really like one of the biggest things that people need to grasp is just like, why am I doing this? What's the thing that's causing me to actually stop the set? Is it like my cardio system being gassed? Is it these different things? That's so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I'm glad you brought up the, the like, for example, the grip. I feel like that's one thing that people, they, that ends up being a limiting factor. And it's like, okay, you're not training your grip. You're training, like, for example, in a lat pull down, you're training your lats, not your, not your grip. And so if that is a limiting factor, that's obviously you're not targeting the, the muscle like you should, you know? And again, I think that, again, goes back to specificity on, on that. Um, but that is an important thing to bring up to people because they commonly, you know, it's like, oh, you know, my forearms, it's like, we're not trying to hit our forearms there. We're, we're hitting our lats. Right. No, no, absolutely. Cool. I love it. So when we're prescribing rep ranges, do you have some general recommendations or how do you generally go about choosing like the rep ranges the client's going to be using? Yeah. So this was something that changed my mind on recently. I'm sure you have too, but you know, I think people think, when they first start building muscle, it's like you need to be in like the eight to 12 rep range. And that is a great rep range for, you know, making sure you're lifting heavy enough, but you're also uh, getting enough volume in. But, you know, studies have shown that you can go anywhere up to five to 30 reps, so long as you're training relatively hard. So again, that goes back to what we talked about earlier, making sure you're training hard enough. So, so long as, again, it's, it's challenging enough and we're within that five to 30 rep range, you know, those are, you're probably, the rep range doesn't matter as much, right? Um, but, you know, probably, you're probably not going to do certain exercises in certain rep ranges. So, for example, if you're doing back squats, you're probably not going to do 20 to 30 reps on a back squat, right? Like, you're going to be in the, low, the lower rep range. Right. Um, so, some exercises do better with certain rep ranges. Um, you know, but I do generally find that most of my training, client's training, is going to be anywhere between, like, 8 to 15 reps. But we're also going – sometimes we're going to go closer to 5, and sometimes we're going to go – closer to 20 and, and, and higher uh just kind of depends on where you're at in your training what exercise you're doing what you find works best for you that's that's going to be the big thing in it too is what works best for you you know maybe for some people five to ten is the range they love lifting a little bit heavier they feel great with five to ten but then somebody else five to ten sucks um can you hang on one sec yeah absolutely man sorry about that man you did. So, so yeah, you know, just always kind of varying the, I, you know, I think finding what works best for you and in, in, in varying that not being married again to like we've talked about throughout this conversation, not being married to one exercise, but also don't be married to one rep range. Um, I think that that's super important there with, with the rep range. No, absolutely. And I think a lot of it, honestly, if we just say like five to 30 rep range, that's your RIR target most people would probably intuitively kind of gravitate towards what you would prescribe anyways, right? Like, okay, my back squats, I really don't want to go too far past 12 reps because I just feel fucking exhausted when I go past that. Same thing with like my Romanian deadlift. On the flip side, if I try to do like a five rep lateral raise, I just basically feel like I feel my traps and maybe my biceps and my form is just shit. So that has to be probably typically like at least 10 reps, it seems like. So I think it kind of intuitively, um, I like to typically say like across a, across a training day, first two to three movements if all are typically that's going to be when we're going to do our heaviest work. Right. And I don't know. I almost think that like thinking about this from like, Hey, let's make sure we're hitting all these different muscle fiber types is probably getting way too far in the weeds versus like where everyone needs to go. But maybe there's a little bit of merit to, okay, sometime in the five to 10 range, sometime in the 10 to 20 range, sometimes in the 20 to 30 range where we're getting like fast twitch fibers and then we're getting to like slower twitch fibers as well. But I think intuitively like, hey, if first couple of movements of your training day, 
should probably be your heavier ones that are going to be in like five to 10 or five to 12 range. From there, we're probably going to spend the next two to three in the 10 to 20 range. And maybe the next couple, maybe we'll venture up to like 25 to even 30 reps if it's like a lateral raise or a pack tech. Honestly, though, it's pretty rare. I'd say I program past 20 reps. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I think you know, sometimes I go over 20 in, in my training, but definitely I think anything over 20, like it's, that's going to be something that's very, you don't do that very often. It's going to be something that's, if you do do it, it's just going to be very short lived and, and you're not going to go there very often. Again, that's going to be something more like the first thing that comes to mind would be like a tricep pull down, or like you said, a lateral raise or something like that. Those would be the ones that you're going to program there. But for the most part, yeah, 20 to 30, you can still build muscle there, but is it the most effective? Probably not as effective as being in like the 10 to 20 rep yeah. range. So I, I agree with that. Cool. Cool. And I, I, something that I actually noticed, I remember like when I first started programming for you and I saw like your previous programming is I think that even like more, I honestly, like personally, I really hate getting like high reps on anything outside of like a lateral raise. Uh, but I remember like looking at your program and damn, like even over for like for me personally, it's like, fuck, this is past 15 reps. I've gotten better about it as I've started like as Steve's on the program, like gone and gone there more. But I remember like leading your program and a lot of like even like 15 getting up like 20 reps of more like bicep curls and leg presses and things of that nature. I was like, damn, dude, <laughs> it looks exhausting. But uh, go ahead. No, I it is, and like I, I've had sometimes I'll train, I'll work out with a training partner and he kind of calls me out on that sometimes. And I'm like, you know, cause he's kind of more of like lift heavy type. He, he you know, he's kind of has that, that bodybuilder bro bodybuilder mentality and like, he'll, he'll kind of call me out on it. But uh, you know, again, it just kind of comes down to what, what works best for you. Like if you like that, then, then do it. I, I don't necessarily love it, but I, I personally would rather go a little bit lighter and push it a little bit um, closer to failure and do a little more reps. That's just how I, how I enjoy training. You know, so I think it really just comes down to what are you going to adhere to best? Oh, absolutely. And that shows, though, too, and, like, you have such good quality, man. Like, I also know that, like, I had you shoot me porn videos, I think, the first week that we worked together. And after that, I was like, all right, dude, you're good. Because <laughs> everything looks impeccable. And I imagine, like, for you, so much of that is, like, you can very clearly tell you spent a long time mastering that as opposed to, like, I know for me, for the longest time, I was on the other end of the spectrum where I was, like, okay, I just need to lift heavy ass weight. Like I, I was very much like in your friend's camp. And I think that, that very much I know came back to bite me. But, uh, yeah. but it, well, and to like my thought process on it, we've talked about this, like my thought process on it is going to be, I, I'm trying to do, I don't want to say as little weight, but I'm trying to, 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 I, I'm trying to do as little weight as I can while, while making it challenging. Just cause I, you know, like I, I want to do this long term. I want to be the guy that's 50 years old, still, still looking, you know, still looking jacked, you know, like that, that's what I want, you know, so I'm trying to go more long-term with it. And so like, you know, I, I think that again, lifting heavy is not bad, but I do think that it comes with a little bit more of an injury risk and, and the long-term sustainability is not as good if you just focus more on the quality of, of each movement. Right. Essentially. I, I can, it, it's, it's sometimes it's tough on the ego though. Cause you're like, you know, you're like, seen some guy lift way more than you and you're just like oh, all right whatever i'm not gonna worry about it though oh no for sure i remember like uh, what shit it was just like a year ago my squat weight basically we when i started working with steve we like cut it in half because it was like dude squats i really struggled to like get squat to like grow my quads with squats it's like well you're <laughs> just going to parallel so like here's what i want you to do i was like fuck i just had to drop like <laughs> over 100 pounds from the bar but again like oh shit okay all of a sudden now my legs are actually making progress from squats again weird how that works right so no that's a great that's a great point dude um anything else you want to add as far as rep ranges go no i just think i think again the the biggest takeaway is don't marry one rep range you know obviously find what works best for you and probably make sure most of your training is in that rep range um but don't get married to one rep range you know go outside of it every once in a while um and that's, that's really my biggest takeaway there from that. I feel like that's kind of the, the, the biggest thing there is just kind of be, get a little uncomfortable with the rep ranges, but also stick pretty closely to what you enjoy best if you like you grow from the best. I like it, dude. I'd say a good rule of thumb is, okay, about two-thirds of your training is probably in that what you enjoy. The other, just putting arbitrary numbers on it, but about a one-third is on 
the other, like, let's say you enjoy that 10 to 20, or like even let's say like eight to 12, okay, two thirds is in there. The other one third is like 15 to 25 and five to 10. Um, cool. When it comes to progression, progression across a mesocycle, can you talk us through typically like, do you have like a pre-plan, hey, here's how we're gonna try to push you to progress or what's that like for you when you're programming for clients? Yeah, so we, me and you talked about this um, kind of at the beginning, but I like to do RAR, like, like lower the RAR, get closer to failure across the mesocycle. So, you know, say it's a five weeks, first week you're like two to three reps, and then each week you just get closer to failure. Um, I do like to do some set increases, but the more, I, the more I learn, the more I'm not like just dead set on set increases. You know, I do like, I do like them, and I think that they're, they're useful, um, but it's a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, again, if um, I like to track things like recovery, uh, how sore somebody is. Like if somebody's super sore, obviously we're not going to add sets. Um, but if, if somebody's not getting super sore and like we see like, again, like the, the, what we talked about earlier where maybe their sets are 10, 10, 10, maybe it's a good idea to throw in another set. Um, or if they want a certain body part to grow, maybe we'll increase sets a bit more on, on that exercise. Right. Um, but basically I like to start the, the training a little bit less intense, but then as the, the mesocycle goes on, we're increasing that intensity. So on average, it ends up being like we talked about probably two RIR, maybe that first week it's three, then it's two, two, then one or something like that, you know, for an average of two. Okay. Um, so that's what I like to do best there. Uh, and then two weight, weight increases too, maybe some small weight, but let me go back on that. So when you're increasing or lowering your RIR, you're going to have to increase reps or increase sets or increase weight somewhere, right? Like that's just going to happen. So, and this is something that RP talks about, Dr. James and Dr. Mike talk about a lot is you don't necessarily have to use the, the RIR each week, but stay about two to three reps away from failure in that first week. And then just try to either add, add weight, add reps or add sets and, and until you get for like four to five weeks and eventually, you know, you, you, you'll overload. Um, but you also don't have to overthink the RIR, right? Cause you can overthink the RIR. I'm sure you, you can, you probably, like I overthink it too. Right. But like, if you just get that baseline in that first week to where it's like, okay, I'm not overdoing it, but I can, I know I can progress. And so that's, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Like stay two to three reps away in that first week and then increase from there. Um, and don't just add sets to just add sets to make it harder. Make sure that if you're adding sets, it's, there's, a, there's a reason behind it. Do you want that body part to grow? Or are you not feeling like you're getting sore or feeling that muscle at all? Then you probably need to add a little bit of set, some sets to it. But, yeah. Absolutely, man. Um, I think with set increases, I probably got a little bit more conservative than I used to be. I know, like, you're someone, okay, like, lower body is pretty much at maintenance volume, right? It's basically, like, six sets across your entire lower body training day so there's where okay we're really pushing for more upper body gain so there were we're a lot you're the most aggressive i am of anyone actually with set increases like week to week but typically i i think that like range typically i as of late i've been starting people a little bit higher and then not so like three sets per movement let's say to start out as opposed to like sometimes we'd go like two to one two like the range is a little bit smaller like, okay, maybe we're going to bump it up to four on these movements that we're really progressing, or maybe even five, like, occasionally. Honestly, I don't think they, most people don't even need to go to that point. Because um, it's very interesting to look at, like, okay, what's what are the proxies for set increases, right? And sometimes it's like, okay, this client is making great progress on let's say three sets of their bench press, and thus they are getting, like, a, they're getting a lot stronger week to week. So, can we guarantee that like, and that's, that's like where the like progression, the, this whole debate comes in, right? Like Brian Miner on the podcast was someone that had me thinking about this so much as well, because it is like, it is a completely different perspective, but like, okay, how do we know like adding sets isn't going to actually, to actually decrease the returns from that. And then if, we, so I've gotten a lot less aggressive, I would say with adding sets week to week, which sounds like it's more or less where you're at as well. Yeah, just, yeah, instead of, like, and I think this is, like you said, they, this is something, like, kind of that debate, and this is what got me thinking about it, but it's, like, you know, don't just add sets just to add sets. Like, make sure that there's a there's reason behind it, you know, and, and, and again, if, if you're not getting sore in a certain muscle group that you want to grow, then you probably can add a little bit more, so maybe increasing the sets there would, would be a good idea, but again, if just adding sets just to add sets probably isn't the best course of action. 
absolutely that's a good that's a good perspective like if I'm, i would say if you have a baseline of execution so like execution is good with side movement but you're not like this muscle group isn't growing as a whole but it's definitely not like damn, I just feel gas here. We know it's not a recovery deficit. Then that's probably a good time to like, okay, we can't add more volume here. Um, but yeah, I would say typically now, I don't know where you're at, but probably most people start three, two to three movements for most exercises at the start of the muscle cycle and then end four to maybe five sets for most movements across the muscle cycle. I'd say even like getting up to about five is pretty rare for most dudes that we work with that are training four times a week or more. Uh, and then a little bit more common with women. Is that, do you feel like that's about where yours fall or a bit different? Yeah. And, and that's a good point you bring up too. Uh, you know, it ends up being the top range five. I don't know about you, but anytime like I'm thinking about adding volume to somebody's program and they're already at like five sets on an exercise and it's like, they're, they're say for example, it's like a tricep pull down or something. They're already at five sets. Their triceps aren't getting like very sore. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to add a six set. Like, I feel like after five sets, if, if you're not feeling it and you're not getting, there's, it's probably a, a quality thing at that point, right? It's not so much a we need to add more. It's probably a quality issue at that point, because even, even if you do go up to six sets, how, how much, how good is the quality going to be anyways? Once you get to that six set, probably not very good. I know Dr. Mike talks about this a lot where he's just like, you know, anything more than five sets for one exercise, it's probably too much. You need to start adding to it, to another exercise exercise because you're just you know it goes back to the, sp the split squat example that we talked about if, if you're not looking forward to doing it you're not going to put as much effort into it and the quality is not going to be there so it's kind of the same thing there i think once you get over five it's just like okay it's probably a quality issue then at that point no i, I couldn't agree more dude cool yeah cool. um and we could even get into like okay we need we should probably have about this many movements within training day and then like if you're doing more than then we're kind of like past the peak but that's a whole that's a whole another like hour and a half episode um i know you got to run here pretty quick dude and i want to be respectful of your time this has been a great conversation i know people will take a ton of application from this before i let you go brother um will you just tell everyone where they can find you anything at all you want to plug yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, uh, JeffH91 underscore. Um, and then my podcast, the Mind Muscle Connection podcast, which you've been on there twice. We're going to get you on there again soon, uh, whether you want to or not. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. <laughs> uh, got to do that so, photo shoot for me first. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm still waiting on those pictures. I'll send them over here soon. Um, <laughs> uh, and then my website is jhhealth.net, and I just write blogs and stuff on there. So those would be the best places uh, to find me. Oh, dude, I will link all that up in the show notes. And again, thank you for being here, man. It's always fun to chat. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, honored to be, I was honored to be on. So appreciate it. Absolutely, dude.